Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. This week in synagogues throughout the world, the Jewish community begins the annual cycle of Torah readings. As many of you are well aware, each week a different parasha, a section of the Torah, is read so that beginning with the book of Genesis, known in Hebrew as Bereshit, and continuing on a weekly basis through the reading of the book of Deuteronomy. Last week, the Jewish holiday of Simchat Torah celebrated the conclusion of the annual reading cycle. And so this week, we turn to the first parasha, the first section in the first book of the Torah. In Hebrew, the book is known as Bereshit. In English, it is known as Genesis. And the parasha taking its name from the very first word of the section, is Bereshit. Many of you know the stories that are told in Bereshit, but here's a summary for you. In the Torah portion, we read that God creates the world in six days. On the first day, he makes darkness and light. On the second day, he forms the heavens, dividing the upper waters from the lower waters. On the third day, he sets the boundaries of land and sea and calls forth trees and greenery from the earth. On the fourth day, he fixes the position of the sun, moon, and stars as timekeepers and illuminators of the earth. Fish, birds, and reptiles are created on the fifth day, land, animals, and then the human being on the sixth. As is traditional in the Jewish world, God ceases work on the seventh day and sanctifies it, the Ikadeshoto, and sanctifies it as a day of rest for all. God forms the human body from the dust of the earth and blows into his nostrils a living soul. Originally, humanity is a single person, male and female, he created them, but Deciding that it is not good for man to be alone, God takes a side from Adam and forms it into a woman, Eve, and marries them to each other. The Torah portion turns from the creation epic to the story of Adam and Eve. As you may remember, Adam and Eve are placed in the Garden of Eden and commanded not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A serpent persuades Eve to violate the command, and she shares the forbidden fruit with her husband. Because of their refusal to obey God's word, it is decreed that humanity will no longer be immortal and will experience death, returning to the soil from which he was formed, from dust to dust, as the psalmist says, and that all gain will come only through struggle and hardship. Humanity is then banished from the garden. The parasha, the weekly portion, ends with the story of Cain and Abel. Eve gives birth to these two children. Cain quarrels with Abel and murders him and becomes a rootless wanderer. A third son, Seth, is born to Adam, 
and Seth's eight-generation descendant, Noah, we are told is the only righteous person in a corrupt world. Therefore, the portion leads directly into Parashat Noah. With me this morning to speak about Bereshit is Rabbi Brooks Sussman, who is the founding rabbi of Congregation Kol Am of Freehold, New Jersey. Kol Am was created as a liberal Jewish congregation in 2001 to serve the needs of Monmouth and Ocean County. As of August 1st, 2015, Rabbi Sussman retired from the full-time pulpit. In his rabbinate, Rabbi Sussman has served congregations in New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, as well as St. Louis, Missouri. He received his Doctorate of Divinity in 1999. Rabbi Sussman is not only a congregational rabbi, but he has a master's thesis on Jewish views of contraception and abortion. It is a pleasure to invite Rabbi Sussman to Jewish faith and Jewish facts. Rabbi Sussman, it's a pleasure to have you with us. And why don't we begin by uh, chatting with events that transpire on the eighth day of creation, rather than focusing on the well-known seven days that are enumerated in the biblical text. That's the perfect introduction, because now we're dealing with humanity and history. This is the beginning of history. It is, as you mentioned, it's now the eighth day. God has created everything. We now have man, Adam, we have woman, who's known as the Isha, and God is walking his creation through the Garden of Eden, displaying everything. Adam, this is all yours, with one exception. There is a tree, it's known as Eitz Adyadat Tovara. It's the tree of the knowledge of right and wrong, good and evil, positive and negative, good and bad. God says, don't eat from that tree. For the moment you eat from that, you will certainly die. Which means that Adam must be in a naive state, unaware of anything. And in fact, that's exactly where we are at the beginning of this story, because we are introduced to the man and the woman, and they are known as, the two of them are Arumim. It's a plural word, Arum. Now, more often than not, it's defined as naked. But there's a question to that, because the very next verse, we're introduced to the serpent, who is also Arum. Same word, only in the singular. And it's defined as cunning or crafty. And so let us keep so it for undefined. Our, uh, Rabbi Sussman, I just want to make sure that for those listeners who are following in the biblical text, they recognize that um, it is in chapter 2, verse 25, that we find the first use of this Hebrew term, arum. And then uh, in chapter 3, when we speak about the serpent, we're talking about the same Hebrew uh, term, arum. Arum is the singular, and arumim is the plural. 
and you've indicated that it's usually translated as naked uh, when referring to the man and woman, but that often it's given a different translation when referring to the serpent, um, either cunning or crafty, but certainly not indicating that he's without clothes. Correct? Perfect. Thank you for that uh, explication of what I'm trying to say. Because we have continuing in this third chapter of Genesis, Adam is no longer here. Now we're introduced to this Arum thing, this serpent, this cunning, this crafty who says, is it true that God told you that you may eat from any tree in the garden with the exception of that one pointing to, obviously, the tree of the knowledge of right and wrong? And she answers, we may eat from anything, but not from that tree. We may not eat it, nor may we touch it. And so we're now questioning, where did she get this extra bit of knowledge? Because she wasn't privy to the conversation between God and Adam, what is going on in our story? And then the serpent says, no, that's absolutely incorrect. God knows that if you eat from it, not only will your eyes be open, but you will be absolutely like gods, like the gods themselves. So she takes from the tree, she tastes it, she gives it to the man, he eats from it, and all of a sudden, their eyes are open. Now, our biggest problem, if she truly believed that if she touched the tree, she would die, how do we get her plucking its fruit? We have to get her touching the tree. And so, basically, we become detectives in this detective story. We, therefore, must look even to the end of the story itself. When we're dealing with the punishments, what are the punishments? The punishment that God gives to the serpent is that he is going to crawl on his belly throughout time. Therefore, we have to assume that the serpent had arms and legs like everyone else, everyone else being the man and the woman. And then the extra added, and this is, this is where it becomes a little sexy because the punishment that God gives to the serpent is that I will place enmity between your seed and her seed. Now, there's got to be some kind of sexual connotation there. In fact, there is a rabbinic commentary that deals with them literally having intercourse, rolling on the ground. The copulation concludes, and she finds herself with her back against the tree. And the serpent says, see, you're touching the tree. Therefore, God's lying. God doesn't want you to eat from it because you will be like God's. So I want to um, take a moment to make sure that our listeners are aware of the distinction between uh, the literal text and interpretation that in the first part of your retelling of the story, you focused on the literal meaning and the literal uh, explication of the text. But as you proceeded, 
you began to offer some uh, rabbinic interpretation uh, based on the use of the Hebrew term and this very unclear uh, distinction, which I want you to spend a bit more time on if you could, and that is um, the punishment of the serpent is to make the serpent um, crawl on the ground, which led you to suggest that the serpent must not have been crawling on the ground originally. Exactly. Um, and we have the, to assume if there is a punishment as something is taken away from him, what is taken away from him that would cause him to crawl through eternity? Obviously, and, legs and legs and arms. And therefore, having uh, made the supposition by virtue of the punishment uh, that the serpent had legs and arms and in some manner or form was able to have both verbal intercourse with Eve, you're suggesting, given the punishment uh, as well, the second part of the punishment, that um, it's not an unfair interpretation to suggest a sexual uh, contact between the serpent and Eve, correct? Well, if we see this text also written by Agatha Christie and Raymond Chandler, it's a whodunit. And we're offered clues, and we have to take those clues with certain assumptions. We're also given an extra added assumption in verse 13, where of chapter God three. They weren't in chapter three, verse 13, and God says to the woman, What have you done? And she says, The woman says, Hanachash Hishi Ani, the serpent beguiled me, tricked me. But before there were those dots known as nikudot, the vowels that are in the text, there was a fluidity to it. And so the letter shin could also be the letter sin. So I'm going to again make sure that our listeners are following because you're doing such a great job of explicating. But for our listeners, let me remind you that the English translation known as the King James Version which is the uh, primary version used in churches, was based on the Greek translation of the Torah, not on a direct Hebrew translation. And Rabbi Sussman is reminding us that ancient Hebrew was written without nikudot, without vowels. It was simply a collection of consonants. And therefore, there are multiple Hebrew readings available. The Septuagint, the Greek translation, um, alighted on one translation, which, as he correctly suggested, means uh, it is usually translated as tricked. But or beguiled, or, or beguiled, beguiled, or even seduced. Right. But the Hebrew is much more, shall we say, um, <laughs> specific. Specific. Or body, B-A-W-D-Y, as well as B-O-D-Y. And so the term for marriage in Hebrew is nisuin. Right. One of the requirements for the completion of a marriage is the consummation of it. And so it really does have that sexual connotation. 
And right. once they eat from the fruit. Now, according to the Bible, there is no mention of a specific fruit. But it's come down to mean an apple. Why an apple? Because the word apple in Latin is malum. The word for sin in Latin is malum. And so that Latin vulgate version gave us the apple because it was through the consummation of that apple that they sinned. Well, you know, what's fascinating about your mystery is it attempts to explicate uh, through Jewish eyes that which the text only hints at. Exactly. Like any good uh, story, it doesn't hit you over the head. Uh, it drops the hints and makes allusions and allows the reader the possibility of interpretation and internalization. Uh, Judaism used, as you so wonderfully pointed out to our listeners, um, language. The how to interpret the ancient Hebrew, it used um, the very rational process of, well, if it says this, it must imply something prior. Um, you really helped to explicate this, but let's go further because the story doesn't end here. Oh, it's in fact, once they both consume this fruit, they now become arumim. Remember that word that I didn't translate, and neither you nor I translated, that was supposed to be naked or crafty, stealthy when it comes to the serpent? Now they become fully aware. Their eyes are open, and they recognize that they are a room. So now they are fully conscious of the difference between right, wrong, good, bad. They lose their naivete. They become human and more. Remember the final curse of the consumption of that fruit, they will certainly die. So what do they do? They are going to die, they lose their immortality. And that is truly the final punishment offered to, uh, to the man, I keep referring to him as the man and the woman. Her name is now given to her, it's Chava, which comes from the Hebrew word Chai, which means life. She is now the life giver. She now becomes the mother because she is no longer immortal. Wow. What I mean, it's certainly from Jewish traditional perspective, um, a very different uh, storyline than one might find in the traditional Christian interpretation. Well, it's, with, a, very dirty, it's a very dirty story. <laughs> it's a very sexy. And then the greatest thing of all, remember, after their eyes are opened and they lose their naivete, they then cover themselves in leaves. Well, that's not good enough because God is going to dress them himself. And so the, the Bible says that they are going to be dressed in skins in, in, in chapter 3, verse 22. Well. What skins? Nothing has died. There's only one skin available, and that's the skin from the serpent, 
who sheds his skin. And so think of it. They have sinned, and the one who led them to sin is a serpent. And now God gives them a constant reminder of their downfall by clothing them in the skin of the animal that caused their downfall. Wow. Uh, I have to admit you've uh, introduced a uh, perspective that is uh, not only unique, but a perspective that offers some insights into the ancient rabbinic text um, and offers some insight into how uh, traditional Judaism and early Christianity uh, varied and took different paths to their understanding of the biblical tradition. Um, the sin, as it's normatively understood in early Christianity, was uh, human beings are born in a more sinful manner. Um, the whole notion of um, original sin, which I, um, which I understand is not um, held by all uh, Christian denominations today, but certainly early Christianity, when it, it um, went on a path different from Judaism, may have in fact seen this as a significant means of um, making a distinction between itself and Judaism. Yes, I believe so, because on the one hand, we almost say, isn't it great that they sinned? Because had they not sinned and been punished under this manner, we wouldn't exist. And that's, and that's where we get to the denouement the final zets that God gives them. They have to leave the Garden of Eden. Why? Because God is threatened. He says to his consorts, they must leave lest they discover there's a tree of life and consume it and then regain their immortality, live forever and become Kelohim, like gods. So there's something quite um, circular but beautiful in the argument here. Um, if they become knowledgeable, they then become very much like uh, God, is what you're suggesting. Well, uh, they, they become like us. We have the id, an id and an ego and a superego, and we have desires and needs. We're human. We're a room. We are like the serpent. And now that we've, we've tasted the fruit of the knowledge of right and wrong and become conscious of who we are, our eyes are open, exactly as the text uh, tells us. But we have not, we do not live forever. And so we become equal to that which God gave us by telling us not to do it. And we're human. We always put our, our hand on the stove when we're told, don't do it, that's hot. We have to experience it's hot. And then we learn. 
Well, I want to thank my guest, Rabbi Brooks Sussman um, of New Jersey, for introducing us to a rather unusual and exciting interpretation of the Parashah Bereshit. All too often, we focus on the seven days and whether the seven days took place during 24-hour days or days of indeterminate length. But Rabbi Sussman, by beginning on the eighth day, introduced us to a very new and different understanding of the story and the origins of humanity. So thank you, Rabbi Sussman, for Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. You can hear a podcast of this week's show on iTunes or on the CHRI website. Shalom and have a good day. Shalom,